Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Sidebar with Cindy on Kaya FM 95.9. FM 95.9, home of the Afropolitan. Welcome to Sidebar Cindy with me, I'm Dr. Cindy Suefansel. The time is one minute past seven. And tonight we'll be chatting to Executive Director of Grow Great, the Grow Great campaign, Dr. Kopano Madlomabaso, and we'll be speaking about stunting, a very important um, um, topic um, around children and their growth. If you missed our previous shows, you can catch them on podcast at kfm.co.za on FM Rewind. If you're not in Gauteng, you can listen to us on Channel 861 on DSTV's Audio Bouquet, or you can listen live at kfm.co.za. Medical issues, sex and family, finance, parenting and emotional development. Sidebar with Cindy. Every Monday to Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. FM 95.9, home of the Afropolitan. Welcome to Sidebar Cindy with me, Dr. Cindy Fansel. And this evening, I'm speaking to a remarkable woman, Dr. Kopano Matwamabaso. Um, she's a novelist, um, she's a medical doctor, and she's, um, she's doing great work in the field of nutrition. And tonight we're speaking about Grow Great. That's a campaign that is aimed at ending stunting in South Africa by, 20, by 2030. If you have any questions for Kopano, you can call us on 86 0000959. You can SMS us on 36959. And the hashtags to follow on social media are Sidebar Cindy, um, KFM Talk, and the other hashtag is Grow Greatness. So thank you so much for being here, Kopano. Welcome to Sidebar Cindy. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks for having me. So I'll speak a bit about you before we go into into your um, um, the, the campaign, the project sure. Grow Great. So yes, I know you're a medical doctor, but I also know that when you were 21, you wrote a novel. So yes. I don't know how you juggled medical school and writing. So you could just, just talk me through that because <laughs> I hardly breathed in medical right. school. It was a lot of no, work. No, it was. Yeah. I mean, writing's always been an escape for me. Yeah. I, I read a lot as a child. I, I loved books. I loved kind of going places and stories. And I think medical school was rough, but, you know, going home, journaling, yeah, I think it was just a beautiful escape for me. And so I was quite lucky to be published. It was never supposed to be anything other than a personal sort of indulgence. Mm. But yeah, I think I was quite fortunate that I got published. And that gave me a bit of confidence that actually this might be a thing for me. So your first novel was Coconut. That's right. Okay. And I mean, I know I've, I've read both of your novels. Um, so just for, so for anyone who may not have read any of your books, what was Coconut about? Sure, such a long time ago and I have to <laughs> think back. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it was it was an interesting time, I think, in our country. And I think it was a book about identity. I think mm. at the time I recall being young, you know, with this notion that everything that was white was superior from accents to language to lifestyle and just grappling with that, grappling with... Um, who we are as a people, why what we are has been kind of side pushed to the side for so long, and yeah, so I think it was an it was a sort of coming of age novel with of a, you know a young woman grappling with identity, trying to understand South Africa and trying to reclaim sort of our beautiful heritage and make sense of it in this new South Africa. And that's something that a lot of us have grappled with over the years, especially you know when you end up going to. Um, you know, multiracial schools yeah. or to an Afrikaans university like I did. I mean, I got there and I was just shell-shocked by right. everything that was happening right. around us. So, so, yeah, so I really resonated with the, with the stuff that you wrote in, in Coconut. And your second novel was um, Spilt, was it Spilt Milk? Yes, that's yes, right. Yeah. yeah, so goodness, what is Spilt Milk? 
<laughs> it's such a long time ago. Um, so spilled milk was a little bit kind of a play on the don't cry over spilled milk yeah. kind of, um, I don't know if it's a slogan or whatever it is. But I think, so I recall being nine and kind of New South Africa vibes, Rainbow Nation, Mandela, and being so excited and then kind of, the rot kind of started to seep through the cracks and really being like very personally like, oh my gosh, like this is not the sort of golden kind of era that I, you know, I, I hoped for. And so again, I mean, a lot of what I do is social commentary, which mm. is trying to grapple with this, the, the sort of cracked rainbow, you know, kind of the reality of um, the, the, the new South Africa and the challenges and and making sense of it. So and and I recall at the time there was a lot of oh, just get over it. You know, but that is a thing of the past. Move forward. Don't cry over spilt milk. Um, which upset me a lot, um, being happens, a young student. No, today. exactly. Being a student at UCT at the time and trying mm. to, you know, the sense that you need to forget and move forward. But actually, there's a lot. There's a lot we still need to work through. There's a lot that still needs to be done right. And um, yeah, so Spookmook was again also making sense of what do we do with the pain, with the mess, with the loss? And then actually we, we need to cry over spilled milk and, and keep remembering and keep reminding each other because it was a painful history. And I think forgetting our history um, allows us to repeat the same mistakes. And I think a lot of people in the country want things to be swept under the carpet. Mm. It's more like, okay, guys, get over it. Like, mm. we're free now. Let's just mm. move on. And no. it doesn't work like that. Mm. I mean, there's issues that still have to be, that still have to surface right. and really be, you know, torn apart and, and we have to go through it. It's a painful process, but yeah. we really have to go through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Cyber Cindy with me, I'm Dr. Cindy Fancel, and I have Dr. Kupano Matwa Mabaso in studio and we'll be talking about, well, we're talking about her books and, and her life as a, as, a, as, a, as a medical doctor, but also a very important project that she's working on called Grow Great, which focuses on stunting um, in children. But before we get to Grow Great, um, I know you were born and raised in Mamelodi. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how many, how many kids are you in your family? So we are three. So, I mean, I was born in Mamelodi. I didn't live there very long. Um, we lived in Sochanguve, then we moved to Midrand. Um, and I would say most of my sort of upbringing happened in kind of the Midrand, sort of between Johannesburg and Pretoria. I'm the eldest of three. I've got a um, sister who's a lawyer and a, and a younger brother who's a brewer. So we're all very different. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we were quite fortunate with very hardworking, sort of ordinary but driven parents mm. who kind of invested a lot in us um, in terms of education. And, and yeah, I think we always grew up with the sense that we had a responsibility, that we were privileged because they didn't have the things we had and, and a sense of wanting to give back and do more. And is anyone in your family a medical doctor? And what inspired you to do medicine? Sure, that's a good question. I mean, I think medicine wasn't... I didn't realize you had to choose. So it was like medicine and I wanted to have a magazine and I wanted to, so there was a moment where it's like, you know, you grow up and they say, what do you want to be? And I was like, oh, okay, so you have to choose. So I think medicine was <laughs> sort of the sort of dependable thing. But I yeah. think I've always had this sense of fascination with people's stories. Mm. And I, it was even before I had thought of writing as a career, but actually I think medicine, you have the privilege of listening to people. They're mm. very intimate, personal, um, and, and that's a privilege. And I think I, I loved being at the bedside. I loved that opportunity to listen to someone, to, to be in their world and to, and to do my bit. Um, 
Yeah, but I was also kind of an overachiever and medicine is definitely the obvious career for an overachiever. And I always say to people that, you know, you can't do medicine if you don't have a deep love for, for human beings. Mm. You need to love people. Absolutely. To, to, to care about them. And you also have kids? I do, I do. Um, Laone, my, my five-year-old daughter, and Laone, my two-year-old son. And how are you navigating motherhood? Sure, it's it's hard. I mean, I think the children keep you very humbled. Um, but it's great as well. I think they also keep your feet firm on the ground um, they're funny they're fun you know they're forgiving um, I've also got a very sort of hands-on husband who who helps a lot so I think that helps um, yeah I mean it's it's a journey and I think it's it's a juggle that we all struggle with um, and we also try to live the talk at Grow Great I mean I think we are about mothers supporting mothers yeah, and so we mm-hmm. we do sort of have a very flexible um, working style and environment okay so so now you know bring Grow Great into the picture and um, we'll be taking your calls on Sidebar with Cindy on 86 and you can SMS us on 36959. So where did Grow Great start mm. and what, what, what was a spark mm. for Grow Great? Yeah. It's a fantastic campaign and, and I mean, I'm working closely with you, with you guys. And yes. I mean, I'm very picky about what I choose to work with, mm. but this is something that's tugged at my heartstrings. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you know, it also came to me in kind of a surprising way. So I'd gone to Oxford to do my PhD, come back, was working at a district hospital and then a little bit at um, the public health department at UP. Um, and, and, and somebody told me about this this foundation called the DG Murray Trust that's for a long time been investing in children and they had been incubating this as a concept. So we've had this prevalence of stunting now for about two decades, sitting at sort of a fifth to a quarter of children and a group of funders were getting really sort of impatient with how slow change was happening. Um, and yeah, I had the great opportunity to kind of develop a concept with funders and a team and recruit a team. And we spend the good part of 2017 and half of 2018 actually looking at the international literature. So what has been achieved in other countries, have other countries like ours reduced stunting, why is stunting persisting? And we landed on this campaign. Um, and so yeah, it's been an incredibly exciting journey. Um, we feel very privileged to be, to be a part of this and really excited excited to to increase awareness among South Africans about the silent epidemic. Hmm. And so, yeah, before we go any further, just a few definitions. Mm. Um, so what is stunting and why is it important for South Africans to know what mm. stunting is? Yeah, so stunting is a condition that results from prolonged undernutrition. So mm. children not receiving enough nutrition, particularly in the early years of life. And it's typically diagnosed by a child being short for their age. But it's not so much height we're concerned about. It's that height is a proxy, there's a sort of complexity of making a child grow tall is also the similar complexity of brain development. And actually, this is a proxy of poor cognitive development. These children um, struggle to learn at school. They're more likely to be unemployed. They're also at risk of chronic diseases like diabetes and hypertension. Mm. And I think what's particularly tragic in our context is that a quarter of children under five in South Africa are affected. So this is not mm. just something sort of minor. We are dealing with, it's, it's a, with it's a, a huge problem. proportion. Mm. And, and these stats have stayed at, this, at about this level for the last two decades. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely time for us to be aware. Um, countries have reduced stunting, countries that have smaller economies than ours, countries that are less developed than ours. And so, it, and our levels are of almost similar to fragile states. So it really is, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that we should all be looking to think, how do we do our part? And, and that's what this campaign is about. And why isn't stunting something that is spoken about widely? I mean, why, why, why isn't this on a billboard or why isn't this... 
this being spoken about on TV? What's 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 the problem? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I suppose in in our collective defence, you know, we've we've been grappling with child survival for the longest time. I think HIV was a big threat to child survival for a very long time, and we have triumphed over that. I think the work that's been done is incredible, and that's 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 a significant achievement for us as a country. Um, but now we need to think about thriving, right? It's not enough for our children to just survive, and particularly because these kind of conditions do tend to affect the poorest the worst um, and so there is a need to shift towards um, child thri- children thriving and internationally I think the, the research the literature the body of evidence has been growing around stunting we understand more we now realize that goodness this early period is the small window of opportunity and you need to, those first thousand days exactly exactly mm. that it's it's both a period of great opportunity if you, you know that's when 80% of the brain is being developed so if you get those building blocks right you're really setting your child up for success mm. but it's also the period of greatest vulnerability and this is when children are most at, at risk of diarrhea and poor nutrition affecting their brain development and that's why we really need to be concentrating on this period and also i think what people what people need to remember as well is that nutrition during pregnancy and and you know in in the first thousand days of a, of a baby's life doesn't have to be complicated doesn't Absolutely. have to be expensive yeah you know i think when people think about changing changing eating habits they, they think of buying expensive supplements right. and buying expensive no, exactly. food um, it can be sim- the simplest interventions make a huge difference. Absolutely, I mean a perfect example of what you're saying is eggs. You know, in many communities, um, pregnant women stop eating eggs. There's lots of myths about eggs blocking the baby. Eggs for young children. People don't give eggs to girls because they think they're going to give them breasts or they're going to make them promiscuous. Or, but increasingly, research is showing that eggs are a really great food in terms mm, of the, brain it's development. It's a superfood. Yeah, yeah it's so the choline that's yeah. great for brain development, full of protein and and not a food that's that feels like a charity food. You know, I think sometimes when you see these nutrition interventions, it's a powder, it's a biscuit, and sometimes that can be quite undignifying. These are foods that are everybody's eating. You know, we should all be eating eggs, regardless of whether you're poor, you're rich. But actually, in South Africa, egg consumption in children is low, and and that's a missed opportunity because eggs are great, they're affordable, they're easy to cook. Um, so yeah, as you say, it doesn't need to be anything extravagant. Mm. And then, what about egg allergies? Because I know that some kids do have egg allergies. Yes. So how yeah. do we work around yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, the 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 older sort of um, advice was delay to mm. a, a, a year, but actually now the research is showing the earlier the better, and so. You know, they introducing eggs as part of the f- the child's early first foods from six months on is actually what is advised. Um, and even the new, so I mean, what we what we are advocating for is in the Road to Health book. It's in the sort of booklets that National Department of Health gives to new moms. But you know, I think, I mean, I my personal suspicion is culturally or sort of traditionally these foods get share well it's that's it's what you eat with for the adults you know you don't want to waste kind of meat on children and i feel like i feel like i feel like adults make up all sorts of stories to keep kids away from the good food and the but these things have persisted right you know we keep denying children eggs because the men are eating the eggs I remember so, when I was a kid, you know, we'd have pap and cabbage. Mm. Well, in Zimbabwe, it's sadza, sadza right. and cabbage. And the, my my mom and my aunt and my granny would get liver. Right. And my aunt had four kids and my mom mm. had just me. So because I was the only one, my mom would leave me a little piece oh, of shame. liver. So I yeah. get the liver. And, and look at you. 
I like Thank cousins. you, mom. We get that thing because I mean, there's four of them. Right. And my poor aunt wasn't going to cut up her liver yes. into four pieces. Yes. But yeah, the no, meat was a was a luxury. Yeah, and I mean, it is in many in many communities. It remains so. But but please give the children eggs. <laughs> well, look, we'll be taking calls on 0860-00959 and addressing those myths around eggs mm. and, and you know and and seeing where it actually came from. Who decided that mm. pregnant women shouldn't eat eggs or mm. young girls shouldn't eat eggs? And mm. I mean, the eggs are they're, they're nutritious meal it's a, mm. it's a meal in one yeah you know? absolutely i know that at one stage i was eating like four boiled eggs for breakfast and mm. when, I was, when i was initially losing weight right i found that if i ate four boiled eggs for breakfast i wouldn't eat for the rest of the day right i'd be full for the right. rest of the day yeah so they're yeah. really really yeah. nutritious well it's 16 minutes past seven and if you've just tuned in you're listening to sidebar cindy with me i'm dr cindy fansel and i'm chatting to dr kupano matlua mabaso who's the executive director of grow great and um, we're talking about stunting, um, a very important topic for children in South Africa and something that we need to address and keep addressing um, because we need to end stunting by the year 2030. So the WHO has also got a lot of material around stunting. Mm. The, 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 the goal of ending stunting in South Africa by 2030 was that, in, was that decided in collaboration with the WHO or with the Department of Health? Yeah, so I mean, WHO, I think, has got reduced stunting by 40% by 2025. We're nowhere on track um, in that regard. Um, ours is a rallying cry. Ours is saying it's just way too high. And 2030 is kind of aligned to our sort of NDP and our sort of national goals. And that we were working towards being a knowledge economy. We talk about the fourth industrial revolution. We talk about smart cities. But stunting completely undermines all of those aspirations. It undermines what we want to do with education, with youth development, with jobs. And so for us, we're saying that we cannot, we cannot go into this fourth industrial revolution. We cannot go into South Africa we dream of with a quarter of our children being stunted. Yeah, I think that's the thing about South Africa, that um, on the one hand, with all this amazing technology and all these mm. things that are changing, mm. and on the other hand, there's so much that we're still behind mm. them. Um, it's, it's quite a challenge. It is. It's it quite is. a challenge. But... You know, some of the solutions don't even need to cost us much. I mean, I think breastfeeding is an obvious example. There was um, Linda Richter, who's a researcher who we have a lot of respect for and has done a lot of work in this area, you know, argued in, in a presentation she gave that if someone discovered breastfeeding, they would win both a Nobel Prize for medicine and a Nobel Prize for economics. As in, this is, a, this is something that is both great for health, but also great for IQ development. Best breastfed babies have high IQ, but also for the development of countries. So some of the things don't actually require us to put more resources they just require us to create enabling environments mm-hmm. like supporting women to breastfeed in the workplace we've got laws in place that that allow for that few people are even aware that you can take two breastfeeding breaks when you go back to work few companies implement that few companies have breastfeeding rooms and so those are the very small things we can start to do to yeah, the low hanging fruits exactly that we can help change exactly I, mean, I know that when we were um speaking up against the scrapping of formula in august 2011 mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. department of health decided mm-hmm. that Women that are living with HIV um, would not get free formula. Mm. Okay, and that's okay. That's fine. Mm. Breast is best. But I also argued that, okay, if you expect a mom to exclusively breastfeed for six months, then the thing that must change first is maternity leave. Right? Sure, absolutely. So maternity leave maternity must benefits, six yeah. months and then we can tell mummies that, okay, listen, you can't formula feed, you must now focus on breast. And it didn't happen. Mm. And what you had then was mummies giving babies Klim and Nespre mm. and Cremora mm. and so on. And just, mm. just, just the transition was was harrowing yeah and i mean we still have very low breastfeeding rates i mean i think um the south african demographical survey shows that if i'm not mistaken two-thirds of children are introduced to solid foods before six months and that's anything from the whole porridge mm. um to rooibos to flour mixed with milk because 
these tins are expensive, right? And and they you try and make them stretch with what you can. Um, so yeah, I think that that remains a challenge, both in in that we need to enable breastfeeding. We also shame breastfeeding women in public. I mean, you've I'm sure you've heard of all these stories of women being told to put their breasts away or to cover themselves to cover up, themselves yeah. up. So I think there's a lot in terms of. Um, yeah, what we can do as society, because I think we want to be careful not to to put further burden on mothers. Mm. You know, it's mothers are doing the the best they can. I mean, they're up against a lot. And actually, we as society, as partners, as friends, as institutions need to enable mothers to make the best choice for their children, because that's actually all they're trying to do. And I'm still chatting to Dr. Kupano Matlamabaso, who's a novelist. She's a medical doctor. And she's also um, she's also working with a foundation called Grow Great. And before we came back from the break, we listened to a clip from the UNICEF Executive Director, Anthony Lake, and he was he was talking about stunting. So Grow Great is an organization, it's a campaign that is focusing on stunting, stunting, stunting being a childhood issue, right? That is, that is hindering growth in children. And this is why Kupano is here this evening to talk to us about that. So Kupano, just to recap, before we go deeper into stunting, what is stunting? And why is it why is it important for mm. those that may have just tuned in? Absolutely. Um, so stunting is a condition that typically affects children under five, um, and it results from prolonged undernutrition, so long periods of not getting the correct nutrition, typically in pregnancy and in the first years of life. And it's diagnosed by a child being short for their age, and it's got long-term consequences for learning, for brain development, for employment, for health. Stunted children are more likely to have di- diseases like diabetes and hypertension. And um, also stunted mothers are more likely to have stunted children. So it also locks families into these intergenerational cycles of poverty. And why South Africa should be concerned is because a quarter of our children are affected. Um, and we are really shortchanging, quite literally shortchanging the next generation from reaching their full potential. Okay, so if someone's listening and they're concerned that their child may be stunted, um, what's a good way to check? So we, I know we, all babies should have a road to health chart. There's a chart that you get um, at the facility at which you've given birth. And it has a, a growth. There's a chart for a boy and a chart for a girl. That's and right. it has a, it has chart, a, a, a growth yeah, a growth chart yes, in it, which right. shows if babies are overweight, underweight. Mm. You know. So if a mom is listening or a caregiver is listening, what should they be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, regrettably, often um, that page is not even so there's a page for height for age. And actually, sadly, a lot of it is not even filled in because we've we also sort of concerned about the weight of our children. You know, we all want a cute, chubby child. Um, that height is kind of not something that we've ever considered to be of significant importance. Yeah. But there is a page where height is plotted, where your child's age is plotted with their height. And I would, I mean, I would suggest that, the, you know, a mom, when you're going for your routine visit with your healthcare worker, that you ask for them to measure your child's height and you ask for them to tell you if it's within the normal ranges. But what, you know, stunting, I mean, I think it's important to say that stunting is a, a population-based measure. So, you know, we often get the question, oh, well, in my family, we're genetically short. Mm. So, does, I mean, I was breastfeeding. And actually, in a normally distributed population, 3% of people are normally short. But we've got a prevalence of 27% of children under five, which tells us that there's a 24% of children who... Whose, whose brain development, who are not reaching their full growth to potential because of, of poor nutrition. And that's actually what we're concerned about mm. at the population level. But we're also saying that let's prevent this. You know, this is something that can be easily prevented from pregnancy in the early years. So let's, let's as a country, make sure that children are not um, unjustly denied um, a healthy growth. Okay, so if both parents are short and their and kid is short, 
then they shouldn't they sh- there should be nothing to worry about no because I, mean, I don't want people to start panicking yes no, no absolutely so i mean maybe let me give this as an example there's yes. been studies done that look at migrants from certain countries so you know we typically have these notions of certain populations being short or you know these ones are tall or whatever yeah. but you actually can see from studies that when the subsequent generation moves to a country that's got more resources more nutrition or they move out of war on average at a population level those those heights of the next generation increase but it's not height as i said is a proxy for mm-hmm. what what we you know we when you know there's and and i think that's something that we've spent a long time kind of trying to emphasize that it's not about shortness mm-hmm. itself it's about saying that let's make sure our children are growing well because if they are growing well that tells us that they're on the right track to reach their full potential okay so i had my kids at um krish for for quite for mm. quite some time, and obviously in the morning they eat at home, and then the 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 snack, the lunch, and then the afternoon snack was was taken at at Krish. Mm. How do we then ensure that um, Krish's or daycare centres? Or feeding our kids the right stuff. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think we had. I had no control over right. what happened at school. Right. Yeah. I mean, I. I mean, I, th- I think of my own example that you can ask to see the menus. I mean, that's one thing. So you know, you obviously want the sort of balanced diet. You know, you want to after age six months add color to their plate, which is you know what we what we what we encourage. Mm. There's obviously foods that are great opportunities. Foods that if you add them, you know, you're giving vitamins, minerals. Um, so like eggs as we as we spoke about earlier breastfeeding really kind of sets down the groundwork mm-hmm. but there's also other things so I mean it's one thing to eat the correct nutrition but you also want your body to keep it and in a lot of our communities there's poor water and sanitation so it's also from an advocacy point of view and an access point of view us insisting that communities particularly vulnerable communities have access to water and sanitation because actually in many of South African communities, children are living in households without pipe water. So you're mm. eating great food, but you're not actually retaining it. And so it's it's health in the broader sense. It's both nutrition in terms of the food that you're eating, but also that children are in healthy environments that enable them to thrive. And adding color to the food, I mean, that's a challenge. I, I mean, I, oh gosh, I'm, I, I've stopped eating broccoli, by the way. I've decided that I... <laughs> No, I don't have to. <laughs> it's not compulsory in my life to eat broccoli anymore. But how do you then, how do you sneak those foods into into a toddler's yeah. menu? Yeah. I mean, I think also starting early. So, I mean, it's so common for people to give the various colors of this. this I don't want to call them by their names, but these instant porridges, you know, there's the pink and the purple. And that's not the color we're talking about, the different colored boxes. We're talking about fruits and vegetables. And actually at that young age, you are teaching them what is mm. nice and what is not nice. They're looking at your face for the cues. <laughs> They're looking at if you are like, oh, is he going to like this? And so encouraging. And actually, I mean, what was interesting for me when we entered this that I didn't know is that textured food actually helps with speech development. Yeah, that's so, true. So, you know, we give these porridges and porridges and porridges and children should be eating food with texture and that actually helps their mouths to develop so they can start to speak. And so, yeah, I think introducing it at a, at a young age, I mean, obviously you know money is an issue from all you know like you know buying nutritious food is expensive so growing your own and i mean another big thing we're pushing for is um supportive mothers so we've got the child support grant but actually women need to start being supported in pregnancy so that they can eat well Mm. and that their children can eat well as well so another trick that i feel would will work with children i mean as as you've said they eat what you do Mm. right they eat what you eat Mm. they see what you do and they Mm. do what you do Mm. um is, is, I always say to parents that, and caregivers that hunger wins, right? So if you place something in front of your child, so you, you place broccoli and champignon and a little bit of, of, of a starch, um, and your child doesn't eat that, don't offer an alternative. 
Right. Yeah. So you, 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 you right. like you're not negotiating right. with these so terrorists. <laughs> Your child must eat what is in front of yeah. what you've put in front of it. And if they don't eat, then it's fine. You let them be. Mm. And and I had to learn that the hard way because right. if you if you then offer an alternative like okay no yeah. or whatever it is, yeah. then your child knows oh all I have to do is throw a tantrum yeah. or on the ground and I'll get yes. something else. No, exactly. So please hunger always wins. There's no child <laughs> that's gonna stay hungry. They might cry and throw mm. themselves on the ground, mm. but eventually they'll eat what you put in front of them. And another thing as well that parents do uh, and caregivers do when they're weaning their kids. Kids kids taste buds. A kid doesn't know about salt and sugar and all of those things. So when you start introducing solids, um don't put salt in the food and don't add sugar either. Mm. So just make the food. Exactly. The food must be bland. Your mm. child doesn't know any better. You're the one that's mm. tasting the food and thinking, oh my gosh, mm. this, this, so needs salt. this needs mm. a bit of salt. And if you can do that for as long as possible, you, you, you're really benefiting your kid. Um, certainly in the first six months, you know, if you're mashing the egg, there's no need to add salt and pepper. Mm. That's an us thing. Mm. That's an us problem. Absolutely. But your children must have plain mashed food mm. whatever it is same thing with this shebo senyama you cook you cook you know you, you boil the food and so on you put their food aside then you add the you can add the seasoning. seasoning for yours and yeah. um many parents don't do that and what you do is that if you if you add salt and sugar to the food you you spoil a child's taste buds and when you offer something bland they're going to spit mm. it out of their mouths mm. No, absolutely. And I mean, it does take them a multiple tries to get yeah. used to a food. So it's mm. to pers- as you say, you persist and persisting it will, is what, you know, in- increases the diversity of what they like. Yeah. So I, I, I generally advise that you introduce one, one food stuff a week. So in that first week, in the first month or so of, of weaning, you're introducing, you know, maybe let's maybe start off with pumpkin in the first week. And in the second week, you add on sweet potato. In the third week, you add on diced broccoli and the, you know, and you, it's like one food stuff at a time. And then, by the end of that month, you should be you should be mixing mixing the stuff up, and then of course you'll add on gravy, which has no salt or seasoning, and you carry on like that until by the by the end of the first by the end of the six months of weaning, your child should be eating what you guys are eating. But again, minimizing sugar mm. and, and and seasoning, and, and not and needing to buy these uh, what are they? Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to call them by their names, but these pre-prepared bottled foods that actually you can actually just use what's in your household. Because I think often we think it needs to be expensive, which yeah. it doesn't. So pre-prepared, those pre-prepared bottled foods, I found were really great for convenience. Like if you know that you're going to be traveling, say you're driving from Johannesburg to Durban, okay, fine, then you buy those foods. Mm. But those foods can't be what your child is eating on a daily mm. basis. Because again, those some of those foods have added sugar mm. and added salt, and you're messing around mm. with your child's taste buds. Mm. So um, I hope that's great advice from for for, for parents. And when it comes to fruits, um, bananas are sweet. <laughs> so if you're going to mash bananas up and give them to your child, your child will only want to eat bananas because they're sweet and they're yummy, right? Rather boil apples, boil pears, mash those roughly and get that whole texture in the mouth going. Um, I know bananas are easy, but those should be like at the bottom of, of the food chain, as it were. And you start off with the other not so sweet um, fruit. Mm, yeah, I know my daughter loved broccoli, which surprised us. Mm. I myself hate broccoli, but you know she's young; she doesn't know any better, mm. and and she and she keeps eating it. I mean, she's much older now, but yeah, I think I think we don't experiment enough with young children and and let them explore and learn about food, its colors and its textures. And so, um, I also found that it was important 
for me to also tell um, the, the, the caregiver, the helper or auntie when, uh, about what to feed the kids because everyone comes into a family with their ideas of what's good for kids mm. and what's not. I mean, I've mm. heard of families telling me, mom's telling me that um, oh, auntie wasn't any went to buy box cereal. Mm. You know, she'd ask, she'd, she mm. specifies that oh, my, the child must only eat umtoko or pegiwe, mm. but auntie will go and buy box cereal with her own money and mama comes home and her child has been fed box cereal. Mm. So the, the food change that you made must be, must be communicated with everybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, we think of the, we, so we run these mom and baby groups and we hear all sorts of stories about mm. pressures that moms, new moms have from mothers-in-law, from grannies, from aunts, from, you know, extended family, and that it's really difficult to make, to continue with the choices that you thought you were going to make, listening to all the voices. So I think, you know, a big part of what we're try, trying to do is also increase awareness, just not with moms, because that's typically the target audience, but with dads, with grands, with everybody, because they also influence what yeah. a child eats. And especially grannies. I think grannies have a hold over the way we run our lives. I mean, mm. if, you look at, if you look at the fact that some, some people still give their kids castor oil mm. um, to, to clean their stomachs, <laughs> as it were, that's, mm. something, that's a myth that has just been passed down mm. from their grannies, passed, them, passed down to them, and then they, they pass it on to us, and it just carries on. Mm. In 2019, nobody should be getting castor oil to detox yeah. or whatever it is yeah. that they say it, it happens. And that's why, as you say, the mommy, the mommy groups help because yeah. people get to share ideas. Absolutely. And, 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 and bust some of these myths. Yeah, and I mean, some of these myths also are, I mean, sometimes the way we feed our children is also for ourselves to cope. You know, I think we hear lots of stories around, I mean, you know, depression in, in pregnancy and postnatal is very high in South Africa. Yes. And we do know that if you give a child porridge when they're young, you know, they, they get a full stomach, they sleep. It's not, it's not what they should be eating. But when you've got a crying, screaming baby, sometimes those are some of the things that mom does to cope. And, um, yeah, so I mean, I think sometimes the way we feed our children is because we ourselves are struggling. And I think we need to be more aware of the, the, the difficulty of the pregnancy and the new mom journey and actually be looking out for each other and supporting moms around us. And the countries that have managed to, um, to, to, to decrease their rates of stunting, how have they gone about it um, as far as the yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, you know, the, the main the main thing that we haven't done locally is making this a national priority. So in countries like Kenya, in Rwanda, this is something that sits in the office of the presidency. This is something that um, um, recently Indonesia has a first thousand days strategy where they identify first thousand days households and they literally make sure that every single intervention, the full package from the grants to the water, to the sanitation, to the food, to the breastfeeding support, that whole holistic package is in the home. We have a lot of great services, but the, 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 at the level of the household, implementation is patchy. So yes, we've got the grant, but only 60% of children under one get it who qualifies, and these are children who should have it, actually yes. gets it in the first year of life, which is telling us there's 40% of children are missing who out. are missing it. And this is something that's there, that's available. But there's barriers to entry, you know, I mean, from, you know, when, when we speak to communities, things like surnames, you know, the, your baby daddy's surname being an issue, documentation, documentation yeah. for the very vulnerable is hard, right? Well, I mean, I can, you know, water and sanitation, I think sometimes when we live here in Gauteng, we forget that in huge parts of South Africa, children are living in households in that early time where there isn't access to water in the home, there isn't good quality sanitation. We've spoken about nutritious food, mm. pregnancy, I mean, research is showing that women are more invulnerable to um, poverty and pregnancy. You know, their nutritional demands are high. They have to go to the clinic eight times. That is, they have to pay for taxi fare. They had increased risk of domestic violence because they're more dependent on their partner. So 
a pregnancy support grant, a maternity support grant, smaller little but more money than we're already paying with the child support grant, but returns of an investment are huge. And if you look at Mexico, you look at Brazil, you look at Peru, Latin American countries, that was the big game changer in terms of reducing stunting is actually making sure that pregnant women can take care of themselves. Small investment, huge returns. And we're speaking about Grow Great, a campaign that is, is, is working towards ending stunting in South Africa by 2030. So before the break, we chatted about um, the political will in the countries that have managed to, mm. to, to decrease stunting. And obviously in South Africa, we still need to lobby the president mm. and a whole lot of other people mm. to make sure that this is something that is um, you know, at the top of their, of their list mm. in, terms of, in terms of assisting. But community health care workers, CHWs, have played, are going to play and have played an important role in other health issues mm. in our country. I mm. mean, we, they're a cater, they're a force mm. that is not so always so um, appreciated. Absolutely. I mean, I know with the work that I do with HIV and when I worked in the public sector, they did so much to mm-hmm. help the community with regards yeah. to HIV-related matters. And this time around, they'll be doing work mm. relating to stunting. So what is their role? Yeah, I mean, gosh, our, our, I mean, my personal favorite, you know, group of healthcare workers, I think we don't, we don't appreciate them enough. We've got about a workforce of about 60 to 70,000 strong community healthcare workers in the country. And I mean, you know, back to your earlier question about what's worked in other countries, these countries have focused on this workforce because... Yeah. In the first thousand days, that period when a child is under two that we spoke about earlier, children are not in institutions, they're not in creches, they're Mm. not in schools, they're in the home. So if you're going to support the mother, if you're going to support that baby and care for that baby, you need to be entering the home. And so that's where a lot of the children were missing is because we have community healthcare workers, but we are not supporting them sufficiently. Um, We're not resourcing them, we're not capacitating them, we're not training them. And for the longest time, we weren't remunerating them well enough Mm. to do their work. I mean, they work, entering a home is tough. Right. I mean, it's not always safe. Um, it's a very vulnerable space. Um, in you know, in the past, sometimes a community healthcare where working, you might be stigmatizing to that that home, that it's family, true. and sometimes People know they, that you're going there. Exactly. Yeah. So sometimes they chased away, but they are an incredible workforce. We work with community healthcare workers in Limpopo and in Pumalanga, about 400 of them, and. These women are, are incredible. I mean, they bath people, they cook for families, they take money out of their own pockets, and you know, they, they are not celebrated enough. So a big part of our work is actually recognizing them. You know, often they'll say they're not even allowed to use a staff toilet in a clinic because they don't have sort of the same status that a nurse or a doctor would have. But if we're going to reduce stunting, we need to be celebrating, empowering, resourcing, remunerating, respecting, training these incredible men and women who are out there taking care of our families. So so their training will involve, um, you know, obviously nutrition. They'll have to, they'll have to learn about nutrition. And they'll be helping to, to, to bust some of the myths around around food. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what, you know, what we're doing in the provinces where we were partnering with, with, with provincial government is, yes. is saying, you know, you're entering a home anyway. Often they go for sort of adherence to TB medication. They might check up on diabetes patients. So while you're there, if there's a pregnant mom, if there's a baby, check that there's a birth certificate in the home. Because already we know without a birth certificate, things are going to be hard, yeah. right? Is there a child support grant in the home? If that lady is, if that mom is booked, if she's a teenager or she's you know very vulnerable mom has she booked at the hospital um so there's very simple things you can do while you're there that can significantly impact but also just you know resourcing them with the things they need they work they walk they need umbrellas they need raincoats Mm -hmm. they need backpacks to carry stuff so recognizing their needs we've got a magazine where we write about their stories where we share them with other community healthcare workers around the country we had a community healthcare worker day in april this Mm -hmm. year they've seldom celebrated and so bringing them together celebrating 
celebrating them, um, encouraging them. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's both small but powerful things because I think we need to care for the carers. Mm. And this is a workforce that is critical to our health system but has gone unrecognized for a very long time. And it's a small things that make a very big mm. difference. And I know that you, um, you'll also be working, there's a, there's a campaign called Flourish. That's right. Yeah, so tell us a bit about Flourish and the change that it has, it has made so far yeah, and what it's going to talk yeah, to. Yeah. So Flourish is a program we run. It's your traditional antenatal classes, um, you know, that ones that we kind of seen on American television and pregnant women come together with their partners and they go on this journey. And we've designed something very similar because we recognize that women have the information, right? You go to the clinic and they tell you, do this and do that and do this and do that. But actually, we need communities of support. Pregnancy can be lonely. Pregnancy can be tough. And it's an opportunity for women to come together to laugh, to cry, to share their challenges, their pains, their their issues with their partners and they go on this 10-week journey, but also to learn. So the journey is themed on different topics. They cook together, they make vision boards. It's really lovely. And we do that both antenatally and postnatally. So when five provinces were growing, our aim is to be reaching a third of all pregnant women at scale. And our early internal research suggests that Going on a flourish journey really does improve women's ability to cope with pregnancy, mm. their sort of knowledge of resources, their confidence in their ability to mother. And it's just great fun. I mean, I think I, I was privileged to go on an antenatal course and some of those friendships have lasted. Our children are now five, you know, but many of us are still in touch. And I think it's just a really special time. And, and we want to honor and celebrate that. Yeah, I mean, I must say pregnancy is, is a roller coaster ride. I don't oh. think anyone prepares you <laughs> for a lot of the things that, that, that happen. Yeah. I mean, I, my mom was there for both of my pregnancies. Mm. But even, I mean, I'm an only child, so she just had me. But right. she was so useless in some of the things that, that, that <laughs> I went through. She had no answers mm. or she'd tell me something that upset me. Mm. And then you speak, to, you speak to your aunt or you speak to other people and... It's just a roller coaster ride. So, it Flourish is. is something that I would have benefited from. It. With my next child, I'm definitely joining Come through. a Flourish, a flourish pro- <laughs> program. And I think what also helps is to hear other people's stories. That's encouraging yeah, to know that, okay, you're not the only person with backache, or you're not the only person that's puking mm. five times a day, you're not the only person that's not sure about right. mothering, you know, or that's, that's feeling uncertain about what the future holds mm. for you and the baby. Mm. No, absolutely. And those are the beautiful stories that come out through these Flourish groups as moms. You know, we had, we had one group in rural Eastern Cape where the, the hosts, we have hosts around the country, said that she had teenagers and they, they would sort of hide the pregnancy. And yeah. when they got there, they would take off whatever they were using to sort of hide, hide. Mm. and it was a, a safe space because in a rural community a small village everybody knows you're the teenage pregnant mm. one so just creating spaces of safety for women that you you and you are still important because i think when you sometimes go to the health facilities about the baby they're measuring they're checking your blood pressure testing your urine and not nobody's asking about you, you. Are, how yeah. are you doing right yeah so flourish is just a chance for women to to do exactly what you're saying to come together to to support each other and to journey together and so how were you able to to get this this um, idea into the clinics how are we able to convince the, the provincial heads of department that this is what's necessary yeah. I mean because that's always a difficult yes. I know that when we're implementing HIV related work mm. it was just one hurdle after mm. the other but eventually we did it mm. so what was your approach yeah, so I mean, it's not necessarily in health facilities. In some places it is, but we, we have, we did get an endorsement from the National Department of Health and I okay. think it is showing. So that's important. Yeah, I mean, I think it is showing that the, the, the sort of curriculum as such is based on sound literature, that we are not introducing anything that's not already been done, you know, in health facilities, but we're creating an, an enabling space. So it's more the how 
the information is the same, but the mode of delivery, you know, as I said, we talk about introducing solid food, but we do it through a cook-off. We're actually making the food together. We're sharing recipes. We're trying things out. And so, yeah, I mean, I think um, National Department of Health has been supportive. We're getting into MOUs with various provinces, but, you know, we're doing this with government and, you know, with communities. So it's also in libraries. It's also in schools. It's also in homes. So Flourish is, is both in, in the former health system, but also in community spaces. And the elders, um, how have you managed to reach the elders? Because you, I mean, you can't just get into a place and, no, and do yeah. whatever you want. No, absolutely. So we work to. with local partners and I think the, the women we, we recruit to run these groups are themselves rooted in their communities, their entrepreneurial women. So that's what, those are some of the requirements that, you know, you really need to understand your community. You need to be entrepreneurial and building relationships. So where we are with community healthcare workers, we work closely with local government. And so we build relationships with, we'll, we, you know, we'll have an event where the chief is there, where local officials mm-hmm. are there. And so we really do invest. I mean, this is a long-term campaign. It We're not sort of flash in the pan. Yeah, yeah. And it is important to to not come in as experts, but to, to, to co-create this together with the community. And you encourage um, um, communities to grow their own food. Um, is, there, is there something around yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we... So, this, so the, the approach is rather looking at your resources, looking at your budgets, looking at what you can afford and making a plan for your children. So the groups differ depending on context. I mean, we've got okay. groups in Midrand. You know, we've got groups in... Um, sort of suburbs we've got groups in rural areas so the idea is that you've got this basic curriculum and you adapt it for your context and certainly in some contests growing your own food for sure would make a lot of sense well, you can grow your own food in midrange. i guess you can grow your own food anywhere that is true if you've got space i guess you can grow it on a balcony but mm. you know sometimes when you're living in sort of a lovely rural area with the land that you don't quite have in midrand um yeah you can you can definitely grow more and the challenges any challenge that you've faced so far um, in, in terms of implementing the the, the 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 campaign, you know, I mean, there is there is sometimes I think moms think it's too good to be true. So so initially oh. driving demand, so the buy in buy in has been tough in some areas. So um, yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of suspicions around mm. um, pregnancy. So sometimes when one of our hosts will approach moms to say, "Hey, I'm doing this thing, and would you love to be a part of it?" She's like, "I'm not pregnant. Who told you I'm pregnant?" You know, even <laughs> though she's very visibly pregnant, because oh, that's a cultural yeah. And, I mean, and and, and, and the pe- superstition exactly, thing as well. exactly. So that's been a challenge for our postnatal groups. You know, in a lot of our cultures, we don't leave the home for the first three months. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's been a bit of a shift, but I think moms get hooked. So once you attend this antenatal group, you form friendships and actually, you know, this is good for you and baby and you're, you're doing it in a safe way. You're not exposing your child to sort of undue infection. So moms come. I mean, it's slow and we're working with communities. We've got local, you know, activations. We've got, you know, so you're using social media. So it's getting there um, slowly. but surely. And it doesn't matter where mom is from. A- a- Any mommy qualifies. Yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay, because I mean, mom. we do have a lot of moms that are not from here. Yeah, no, I mean, we've had groups where moms are speaking French and, you know, so, um, and we have hosts who work. We've got a franchisee who runs or a host who runs um, groups with moms who are blind. She herself is visually impaired. Okay. And so, I mean, we hope to eventually be in prisons. We're already in a school. So, yeah, I mean, this is definitely for all moms with, with no judgment. Well, that's fantastic, um, Kopano. So, just before we let you go, where can we find you and where can we get more information about Grow Great, the campaign that 
aims to end stunting in children by 2030. So please um, come to our website. There's there's lots of information on how you can get involved. You don't have to be a mom. You don't have to be a parent. Any South African can find something that they can do to contribute to this campaign. So growgreat.co.za is our website. Also on social media, on Twitter, on growgreat, at growgreatzar, and on Facebook, um, growgreatzar as well. So yeah, follow us on social media. Come to our website. We've got lots of videos, lots of information, um, and we'd love to have more and more people get involved. That's fantastic. And I'm really proud of what you're doing because, as I said, um, it's something that I'm also working with, with with your team. And only because it means so much to me that, that mommies um, are supported throughout pregnancy. I mean, I see a lot of pregnant women. That's one of my special interests mm-hmm. in the work that I do. And also, it's just important for kids to get the best chance that they can get. And we know that that thousand days starts at conception and, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and carries on until the child is two years old. Mm-hmm. So whatever we can do, whatever changes mm-hmm. we can make mm-hmm. to make sure that your baby has a fighting chance, then, you know, we, we have to do it. And that's why I'm so happy to be affiliated with this. Thank with this, you, Cindy. Um, we love working with you. <laughs> <laughs> with this project. Um, and yeah, that was Sidebar Cindy for this evening. And just a lovely quote from Kailash Satyati. Every single minute matters. Every single child matters. Every single childhood matters. Sidebar with Cindy. Every Monday to Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. On Kaya FM 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.